Speaking of trips, <laughs> you're not going to use that segue, are you? Oh, for this book, yeah. Should we start talking about it? Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, born ready. Born no, ready? That's not true. I'm rarely ready. <laughs> okay. It's more accurate. Uh, welcome to Checked Out. This is a podcast where we drink and talk about books. Our theme, our current theme is boldly going where other podcasts have gone before, and it's our sci-fi section. And this week we read The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula Le Guin. I'm Kate. I'm Josh. I'm Seth. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. Ursula Le Guin. I'm Le Guin? sorry. Yeah. She's just, uh, like, I I've, didn't know. I've been reading oh. her books since, uh, Forever, right? Since, like, This is my first Fourth course. grade, I think. Hell yeah. She wrote, I, I don't feel like not many people know this, but she wrote a series of, like, chapter books called Cat Wings. About cats that have wings. So so I read these in like third or fourth or fifth grade, somewhere around there. You lucky dog. Had no idea. And then like found her science fiction later mm. in like middle and high school. Had like, because what third grader pays attention to the author? Like, you know. And uh, then realized later on that like, holy shit, not only did she write this incredible science fiction that I've come to love as a like teenager and onwards, but yeah. she also wrote these books that I read and like, devoured as a prepubescent little, like, shit. Still speculative fiction. Right, yeah, to, yeah, to a certain degree. Yeah, they're just cats with, cats wings, with wings, and, like, they, they fucking have little adventures and shit. Um, so she, was it for children? It was a children's book? Yeah, it was for yeah. sure, it, like, a chapter book. So, yeah, like, yeah. not a picture book, but not, you know, not a young adult novel. Yeah, totally. I guess this was also, maybe I'm dating myself, this was before, like, young adult. So how, how old were you? I like so, somewhere between third and fifth grade. Okay, so I was in elementary school. So you've known Ursula Le Guin for yeah. twenty Most years. Yeah. All right, that's cool. Could you quickly do a rundown of what you have read by her? Sure. So uh, I believe I read all the Cat Wings. I haven't. I didn't double back to look, and I also no, I don't remember which books I read. But uh, Lathe of Heaven, I had already read. Left Hand of Darkness, uh, City of Illusions, which is uh, she has this whole cycle of novels called the Hainish novels, mm-hmm, which are mm-hmm. basically about yeah. a big intergalactic sort of confederation that is all about, like... Anyway, they feature as, like, kind of an overarching entity in a lot of her science fiction novels. Uh, City of Illusions, Left Hand of Darkness, The Dispossessed. Mm. Fucking insane. Yeah, I was going to really choose that good. one. Um, way longer and, uh, at times, a bit more heady mm-hmm. than this one. Uh, she deals with some weighty things there. Um... All of the Earthsea, the four Earthsea, so Wizard of Earthsea, the Tombs of Atuan. This is uh, all that, you've read all these? Yeah. 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 Tahanu, and then whatever the fourth one is. So, do you think that she's, she's got to be top five authors that you've read more than anybody else? Uh, so you just, you probably just 20 pretty books. Good, yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Um, no, not 20, but. A lot, yeah. Ten, at yeah. least ten. At yeah. least ten. Um, I mean, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, and she's... And you're just talking really about the ones... She... Oh, shit. She read... Uh, any Anywhere but here. She wrote, like, a young adult, like, romance novel, which I also read about, like, 
these two like high schoolers back when I was an emo high schooler. Not emo yeah, yeah, yeah. in garb, but emo in, in spirit. In spirit. And she's a good. She's a good emo emo writer. Yeah, yeah uh, she nails relationships really well. And I yeah I mm-hmm. I saw a little display in a bookshop upstate. Um, uh, maybe a, a two months ago. It was after she had passed away, and like, I like felt it in my throat. Mm. It was like it was like one of her later books. So it was like maybe a, a collection of essays, and yeah, like she also, there was like she a, little, has a nonfiction was the last thing she published. Right. Okay. So it was probably that then, and there was like a little card that was just like, you know, thank you for what you've given us, and we'll miss mm. you. And I was just like, oh god, I'm just here and I'm about to cry. Uh, it was like yeah. I mean, she, you know, she lived a very full life. She was 89, maybe? I didn't look But uh, multiple uh, World Fantasy Award, Hugo Award, and Nebula Award winner. She... So get out there. If you haven't read Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. Buy one of her books. Any of her books. Rocky Socks. It's my first one. I recommend Lady really? Heaven. Yep. Uh, really? Both of us. I oh! told you this. Both of our first times mm. reading. And I turned around and was like, I'm going to read everything this bitch ever wrote. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's all. so good. Even her like lesser. Like City of Illusions is a, a lesser novel. It's very slight. Uh, it's even shorter than this one. But it, it just is like, holy shit. She. Yeah. I'm going to do a quick quick yeah what what happens 30 second plot rundown all right so i'm gonna set it up as just a what if scenario but the the whole book is what if what if someone's dreams were able to influence reality and not on a small scale but on on a on a giant real tangible scale so what if i um you know someone dreams about world peace and world peace actually comes around um and then what are the what are the consequences of that happening so the the main character uh george Orr, he has this he has this ability his dreams influence reality and from the from the start of the novel all he wants to do is to stop that from happening because he doesn't want to to control or influence reality in any way he just wants to live his life like a normal person and he's afraid of what he'll do too he's terrified of it Yeah. yeah And uh, he's he gets caught using a using someone else's prescription medical card to get dream suppressant drugs, and he's sent to see this psychiatrist, William Doctor William Haber, and the psychiatrist at first doesn't believe what he tells him because it's absolutely insane. Who would right? Who would yeah? And then he because Doctor Haber is actually in the room. When or dreams, he's able to see the reality shift, and the the first case is um, God, what does he what does he ask him to so, dream? So uh, he asks him to dream about a horse, mm. and it's very small scale. Uh, the the doctor has this machine that like and like they use hypnosis to make him dream, and he tells him to dream about a horse. The mural in the doctor's office changes from a picture of Mount Hood, which uh, I believe is a, a real mountain in oh, you know, yeah, Oregon. Yep, yep, right. yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't look it up, but uh, and so the mural—it's very small scale. The mural changes to that of a horse. It wasn't—it was a picture of Mount Hood, and now it's a horse. Very small, minor change, but it happens. And yeah, and, and yeah. because Haber is there, he still has some memory of the before, though it's kind of vanishing very rapidly. But he, 
the only other person who has memory of the before world is Orr. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and Haber is simply just because he was there right, when exactly. it happened. He still has some memories of the before. And Haber, as a you know, as a scientist, he's speci- like he is the definition of a, of a man of science. Mm-hmm. He starts using Orr um, to try to influence and change the world in degrees. Um, and there's certainly consequences that arise from what he asks him to do. Because even though Haber can somewhat influence the dream by telling him to dream about, you know, dream about world peace, he can't control, you know, your subconscious, is, your, subconscious your dreaming state, is not something right. that can be controlled. Right. He always refers to George Orr's uh, primary process thinking that gets in the way. So, for instance, when he tells him to dream of world peace... Uh, George dreams of aliens coming, and that unites all the nations, but now there is war with aliens. Yeah. Right, well, so first, aliens going. are just, they land on the moon. Yeah. Right. Yep, yeah, and then man, mankind unites by having, having a, common a common enemy. enemy. Yeah. Similar to Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. From the three books we read, there's there's a lot of like little bits and pieces of similarity uh, that pop up. Yeah. I, this is so this is an interesting tidbit about Ursula Le Guin that I wanted to bring in, and I'm glad you brought up Ender's Game. I don't know if we remember back in Ender's Game, there was this technology called the Ansible, which allowed faster than light communication. Ursula Le Guin coined that term and created that, and it has now been used throughout various works of science fiction. She coined it first, I think, in 66. That's cool. Bad ass. Hell right? yeah. Get so, it, Le Guin. Get so it. Orson Scott Card just straight up, the same way that, like, I don't know who invented orcs. Was it Tolkien? And that now orcs are used in other... Like, it's similar to that on the fantasy side, but mm-hmm. this is like a science yeah. fiction side. So she invented the Ansible. She invented the Ansible, and that was a key component in Ender's Game. Yeah. Like, how fucking cool, man. Yeah. It's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. She's just like this little... At least I've only mm. ever known her as this little old lady who just writes these badass books. and there has she been, is. Yeah, She's right? This little gray-haired old lady who's always like just like smiling and mm-hmm. fucking... I would marry her. If yeah. she was, I would marry her today as an old woman. She probably wouldn't. She could get way better suitors than me. But yeah. holy shit, I'm, right. I'm in love with her. I'm in love with her. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we did. This was a real 360 from my last <laughs> reading experience, and yeah. I knew it from the first sentence on the first fucking page. I like literally was like, yeah. "This is exactly what I was talking about." Metaphors for days. For days. Yeah, yeah the jellyfish. So maybe do we, do we want to even since you guys well you, if you guys want to take it away that that the the book starts with uh, just descriptions of a jellyfish being tugged about by the <laughs> currents of the ocean mm-hmm. um, with no like context or anything no, no. before we like <laughs> no it's just I about the jellyfish uh, yeah and that why did you know how did you know that that was gonna I just knew I just there's something so. Um, powerful to me about starting the book with this real like small isolated moment of beauty or Mm. like of just it's beautifully written and it's like I immediately felt transported there it grounded it to me so like wherever we went after that I had this like very clear image of something recognizable and and then knowing that that's what we were talking about and then having the first line of actual um you know, the actual narrative be about, like, a an, an man who's essentially going insane. Right. I was right. like, I'm here. I'm cool. all in on this. Yeah, cool. I mean, she... 
it, the the first sentence could have been anything mm. if she was writing it. Yeah. I think the it being a jellyfish drift. It doesn't. It didn't have to be a jellyfish drifting in the sea. It it could have been anything going on. She's just, she's just a fantastic writer. And mm. yeah. a lot of times for me, it's it's just like sometimes they, like you got it or you don't. And she's right. she's fucking got it. Like I'm reading it. It feels like uh, people say that you know, great writers get just, like, hit by, you know, this inspiration that is almost otherworldly. It seems mm-hmm. just she's, like, like she's her pen tapped. is just, yeah, she's tapped into just the, like, the current of life that is running through everything, and mm. it's just firing off her pen onto the page. Like, she can say whatever the fuck she wants. Yeah, she can say whatever Yo, she wants. And I read all of her shit. Just want to say specifically, like, of this whole book of beautiful writing, one that actually made me, like, oh, like, mm-hmm. I had an outward sure. moment um, of, like, I love her. I love her so much. Because when she's talking about, you know, two of the characters have sex. And she's, like, and they listen to the record. Yes. And then they made love. You have to make love like making bread. I can't find it. Their whole quote I, is beautiful. I know where it is. I will find it because, yeah, that shit. Ugh. No need, I wrote it down. Uh, Love doesn't just sit there like a stone. It has to be made like bread, remade all the time, made new. Mm. God, I love her. So simple and so direct, but also so effective. There's something about, um, not to make it about that line, but that was by far my favorite line of the whole book, but that's in a line of amazing, that's a book, in a book of amazing genius. That was my part, my favorite part, but... Uh, there's something so romantic and beautiful about bread as well because mm. it's like sustenance of all people. So for love to be made like bread, uh, uh, she's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. she's I'd, fucking great. She's. Uh, I'd, I'd even posit that there's a, there's a, like a an intimacy and sensuality in any kind of creation whatsoever that sure. you can link back to. Set. I, just the whole book was. I can I can I get a cheers because like we're I'm yeah. This is the first time I I just had to just start reading it mm. yeah like, I love oh, it's it good. the first paragraph is amazing it's, yeah. it's also <laughs> oh my god it's also uh, a shorter read and a lot of her stuff is she gets right to the point she she deals with with big ideas some of her stuff is a little longer but a lot of her stuff isn't and yet she's still able to do some really crazy shit without needing you know 500 pages or whatever yeah. uh, she does she does i want to get into the crazy shit but first yeah. so um the three of us are all taking turns now on which book we're each going to pick a book oh yeah we didn't talk about we're that. each going to pick a book now for the theme as mm-hmm. opposed to just all all agreeing to it and i think it'll bring in some more variety of the book so this was my pick however i can't take full credit for it because a listener of the show Ayo. Listener of the show reached out to me and said, "We have listeners." And said, uh, "Have have, y- have you ever read? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read Ursula K. Le Guin?" And I said, "No, I have not." And she said, "I just finished reading The Lathe of Heaven. You guys should do it on your podcast." Mm. And I said, "Well, great. It's uh, what, it's my pick. So let's." Krishanti. She's cool. I know her. Yeah. Well, big thank you because yeah. holy shit, did I love this book. Mm-hmm. Krishanti is also in a band called Lady Bits. If you ever want to check out a cool punk rock band, go check out Lady Bits, guys. They, they play in and around the New York City area, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I had not read it in like 10 years, so mm-hmm. I was also very glad to read this, mm-hmm. even though I had already read it. Uh, yeah, she's... Mm. Sing praises for days. Yeah. Funny, funny story about 
uh, also about before she had reached out to me, I was I was looking up just sci-fi books at work. Sure. And uh, I was just checking out like biggest, like heaviest sci-fi hitters, and I ha- I haven't read that many. And who wrote the the Man on High Tower or the uh, yeah. yeah yeah? So I was looking at Philip K. Dick books. Well, I am that's yeah, you're Will House. One kid, of my right? favorite writers. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've never read anything by him. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to go back because I love him so much. I mean, there's so much sci-fi. They're yeah. so comparable. I also thought like they're really styles. Yeah. So I'm clicking around Philip K. Dick books, and I click on, is it The Man on High, high Tower? The Man in, in the, man the, high, in the tower? high Tower. Yeah. Oh. Yep. They so, made the Amazon show. Yeah, so I click, I click yeah. into that one, and it's just, it's, so I've got two monitors at my desk, and it's sitting up on one of my monitors, just blown up on my monitor, and then something popped up, maybe I got an email, and I look over at my other <laughs> monitor, and I just start working, just and so I'm like, working away, <laughs> working away, blah, 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 maybe like 15, 20 minutes, and I just hear, Josh? What what is going on? And I turn around and it's my boss. Yeah. And I turn back and look at my computer and there's a fucking huge swastika <gasps> on my right <gasps> monitor. Oh no. See, I thought he was just gonna say dick in big letters. Nope. <laughs> no. Would have been way better. Too. Way, way better. Way better. Half the people got a dick. Not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ugh. And then, like, right. Did you minimize, like, it was it easy? No, I mean, I quickly explained it. I feel like I would have grabbed the monitor and just pulled it down to the ground like a laptop screen almost. (laughs) And just been like, no. But it was such a... (laughs) That is so funny. Such an embarrassment. And I could... There was, like, fear and confusion in her voice, too. Because it's such a fucked up thing. Also, like, Josh... You are very white. You are, you... A borderline Aryan. I I would say that of the four people sitting in this room, you and I are the least likely to be murdered in a... a, Anywhere. Anywhere. For those of you don't know who don't know, the Man in the High Tower is an alternate history, right? Where I haven't they, read Man in oh, the High Tower. You mean Man in the High Castle? Oh, oh, yeah, castle. there it is. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. I haven't read it. I, it's, if I, it's one if of I remember the few correctly, of his it's, that I haven't read. it's an alternate yeah. history where the Nazis win. Yeah. Because yeah. last summer I did a so swastika, swastika on swastika. Yeah. 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 So I guess you know we covered the language. We covered her writing with you know, the spirit of fucking mankind running through her, but. Aside from that, like she's not just a like a, a beautiful, thought-provoking writer. There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of plot. There is a lot of action so that much. that goes on in the book. And I haven't read that much sci-fi, but from the sci-fi that we've covered, she also doesn't have a lot of characters, which I think de mm. it's not a word, but de confuses. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she uh, de it's, she de declutters de- de- declutters. Mm. Un- she uncomplicates the landscape, and she good assist on we'll, yeah, yeah yeah we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Focuses a lot on 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 like thoughts and morals and ethics of these situations. So there's really only three main characters in this entire mm-hmm. novel, and really th- you only I think only about three characters that you actually see or spend any time. I'd I'd argue a, f- a fourth the ish. the yeah, alien yeah. just aliens yeah, in general agreed. like. He interact. They're they're never individualized, but yeah, wrote their name. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, towards the end, George Orr starts to interact a little bit. Uh, yeah. They they speak out of their elbows. They're in like yeah. giant turtle suits. Yeah, they're. It's, it's they ridiculous, look like but it's great. Sea turtles. Yeah. And they nine foot tall. Speak out of their underarm. So I guess if if you could if you if you had this ability to influence and change reality based on dreams. And you 
could and you could use it would would you think you would you try to tap into it and control it or would you just let the unknown be the unknown see and this is where i think she, like she's so fucking great is mm-hmm. because normally the question is you have this power and you have complete control over it mm-hmm. would you use it here it's like you don't. you don't have complete control over it. There's that fear of what you might do. Not even just like, oh, like, I can't fly too well or I, like, shoot laser beams too often. It's like I'm reshaping reality and I'm not even awake when I do it. And like, that's terrifying. subconscious. Like, he... You're, everybody's subconscious is like, fucked up. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's like, you... Everyone... The two other people who know about it, basically... Um, at various times they confront him, like, why are you doing this badly? Why are you creating these bad things? And he's like, because it's not my choice. Yeah. yeah. I'm not doing it. Yeah, that's a recurring thing, is that Haber, the psychiatrist, tries to repeatedly suggest what to dream, and George takes it, and, like, for another example, is he says that, like, all right, the, the nuclear family of, like, mom, dad, and, you know, two and a half kids or whatever is we've moved beyond that. We need to create something different. And so George goes to sleep and just dreams that there are, like, child centers where people are raised. Mm-hmm. And, like, Haber gets angry because... That that's, wasn't the plan. That wasn't what I meant. But also it's like, yeah, we're dealing with this raw animal in the in the back of our minds that's... I would yeah. be... Knowing the thoughts that I have, even the conscious thoughts that I have, <laughs> I would be fucking terrified if I had this yeah, absolutely ability. Agree. Oh, I think George is completely in the right to be having a breakdown, trying to suppress his dreams, taking a lot of drugs, becoming a drug addict. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, like when at least when we meet the 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 baseline universe that we know about, overpopulation mm-hmm. in the whole world, like very little food almost no space extreme pollution yeah the world is in a rough spot yeah classic dystopia yeah yeah classic dystopia all taking place in portland i think we talked about that right um oregon not Maine. right right um and you know it's uh, i think josh said ethics and i think that's like the whole theme of the book is like what is and isn't ethical like dr haber at the beginning before i think he kind of becomes more megalomaniac-ish mm-hmm. as the book goes on. He's really just trying to get the world right. Like, he's, right. like, he... I guess that's my question, is do you guys think Haber is a villain at the beginning? I'd even almost argue at the end, in a way... Like, I... I don't know. And that's a credit to her writing, is that, like, it's not clear-cut, right? Because there's even, like, a some government building at a certain point has a slogan, uh, like an etched slogan where it's like, you know, for the greater good or whatever. And they, it turns into that kind of dystopian where it's like, uh, we're doing, he like, he always has the best intentions, mm-hmm. but things go awry anyway. Yeah, again. He, he wants to bring good about. Yeah, I would, I would again compare it to another book that we read in, in Wild Seed. And I would say he's... You guess, the question was, is he bad? Is he bad? Essentially, is he, is he the bad? villain? Is he the yeah. is he a villain? I mean, he's the villain in the same sense that, that Doro is the yeah. villain. Um, sure. You know, he's... Towards the very end of the book, um, they have, you know... Y- the people are 
citizens are able to euthanize other citizens when, and everyone is able to see, you know, who has a disposition towards cancer and a citizen is able to make an arrest of another citizen in the street and formally execute them. And that's acceptable. And, and Dr. Haber says, yeah, I mean, we're moving in that direction. Like, man, like we are evolving and I want us to continue to be evolving. So he, yeah, he's sure. Yeah. He's evil, but it's, you can see his line of his line of reasoning. Yeah, totally. Um, for me, this book is a love story, and all Haber's trying to do is basically break up this couple. Cause right, <laughs> and for being a more or less uh, sort of like a side story, the love story that she like creates between this lawyer that George goes to. I mean, yeah, do you, you... See, yeah to see if he's has is doing anything, you know. Right. Not that. Not to code. Not to, mm-hmm. you know, and he, unethical. He, unethical, and uh, he's not that she can really slam the book down, but then she, uh, you know, she goes to a session where Haber suggests dreams. She's in the room. She experiences the change. The reality shift. Yeah, she yeah. feels the reality shift. Uh, her, she basically has lunch with. <laughs> so hard to do plot stops. Um, so, yeah. But she she goes to him. She goes to him and she goes finds to him, him and she's like, "Yeah, I saw it too." And then they start to fall in love, and it's you know he it's the only person in the world that believes him, and it scares her that she believes him, and they fall in love. It's re- uh, I would <laughs> say then, one of my favorite parts has to do with this love story where uh, so Haber has been controlling George's dreams. And there is a, a, a point in the book, which actually I want to talk about after this, but uh, where George is like, you know what? I'm going to just go dream on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the dreams that Haber had made George have erased, her name is Heather, Heather. erased her from existence. And uh, eventually George reaches this point where he's like, fuck it, I'm going to go dream my own dreams. And then he dreams her back into existence and he wakes up. And he's, he's like, so happy. Yeah, it's just, like, tears. She, she is, like, I was crying. Yeah. Was crying. She was, like, married. she was, like, no, like, we've been married for years, and he's looking at me like I'm, like, bringing him all this joy. It was, yep, that was yep, oh, that my moment. God, that was. And she, she says something, <sighs> like, they, they make a comment that that passage happens where she, she's looking at him and knowing that all of his joy is because of her. Mm-hmm. And then she says something like, and I'm violently in love with him or something. Mm, and it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And this is, this is but a small slice of what happens mm-hmm. in the entire yeah, this novel. Is like less uh, than less, eight pages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's, she's so effective at her writing that like, yeah, it was uh, fucking. He and wakes then, up and she's there. And like, uh, Josh, what you were saying before about, like, you either got it or you don't, I think about that sometimes yeah. as somebody who wants to be a writer yeah. because it seems like that seems impossible. To yes. use such a small impossible. space and to create this fictional world and these fictional people that can have such an emotional effect on us. This kind, of, this kind of writing makes me want to pack up writing and just read everything that she's done mm. before I write it. Before you write again. Yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, someone yeah. said... I think it was Stephen King. We can go back and forth on... Sure. I, yeah. Um, we can go back and forth on whether or no, not we think he's... A, who and, said it. Who, yeah, <laughs> whether or not he's a great writer. But um, 
Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I say, we're all I say no. Oh, yeah. um, we've, I, we've had this I had an argument with someone who tried to say that Stephen King was the greatest American writer of all time. Oh it was, it was insane. God. Let's go fight them. And I was, I was, <laughs> let's go fight them. That's, but you also have to keep in mind that somebody who probably hasn't read a lot helps. Mm. Yeah. Right, because there's enough of, books to occupy I, you for. I ever. notice a lot of Stephen King lovers when you start talking to them outside of Stephen King, they don't read much. Mm. They they like they found and I think we can all agree that he is nowhere near the best writer ever. But his things are interesting, so I yeah. can understand yeah. being a fan of his. But that he's competent. I don't want to put him down. He's he's, he's, he's competent. He's, conceptually, I think that he makes incredible n- stories. If I was immortal, I would read Stephen King for days, but I'm going <laughs> to die one day. And, I, and this bitch has a bunch of books. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Ursula I want to read. Ursula Gwynn has a bibliography that stretches we from need here to, go to next. Through. Ain't got time for books that aren't like this. Uh, sure. Well, the problem is, is that we for sure make a podcast for <laughs> reading some books that are not like. To them. warn others, though. Yeah, we're doing this for you. Yeah. So, so Faith, <laughs> faithful listener. So someone so said, <laughs> you know, enough, enough good, dogged, hard work will make. Uh, a bad writer, okay. And then even more hard work and study will make an okay writer good. And then even more work and study will make a good writer a great writer. But no matter how much work and no matter how much study, no matter how many, you know, you put 10,000 hours into it, a great writer will not become an excellent writer or whatever that next level is. There's a ceiling that eventually gets hit and there's no amount of work will send you above it unless you just you you got it where it comes yeah, to you. Mozart did his first fucking whatever at six years old. Like, there are some people who are blessed in that way, and I think Ursula Le Guin was man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it makes me sad because I might not have been blessed. In right. that way. Also, ain't nothing wrong with being a great writer. Right. Right. Yeah. We need. We need. The world needs my Michael Bay. No, the world that's, needs. <laughs> that's a bad comparison, but. I strongly disagree with that statement. No, the world, yeah, the world doesn't need Michael Bay. I because they're he is lower than anyway. So, so, so he's having all these dreams, and you're not even hearing about them, but uh, about every single one. But Haber is getting more and more powerful until he essentially runs the world. The capital of the world is now Portland. Portland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and or is you, you know he's managing the every like he's trying to manage in his mind all of the the different uh, realities the different realities yeah. or continuums as Haber calls them yeah and he's trying to find he's trying to find uh, Heather and he goes to this one diner and he realizes how futile it is to even look for her because he's not even going to be he's not even going to remember which reality like where she lived in this specific reality and it's just it's the ultimate I'll never find this person that I love again yeah. or I think you wanted to talk about race. Yeah, so George is looking for... Basically, at one point, Haber is trying to um, change the world where there's no more race, essentially, right? And Well, no, his his first thing is, like, I, I don't want the racial problems to exist. Right, so uh, George wakes up and everyone's gray. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, which, which fixes the racial problems, and an, right? And another example of how George's dreams don't are not always, you know, they're effective yeah. and they work, but they he kind of, 
in a roundabout way. In a roundabout right. way, yeah. He right. was supposed hey. to, like, you know, Haber said you can cure, you. I thought you were going to, you know, like, establish some kind of, like, uh, you know, work it out, like, uh, nobody has prejudice anymore. Right. But instead, if everybody's gray, then you can't have prejudice can't have to begin prejudice. with. Right. So he, he, yeah, he takes the suggestion and twists it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah it's like I, the whole plot of the book is that he doesn't. Maybe what you were going to say was what I was going to say, but so, go on. I, so, yeah, I love uh, it. everyone's gray and, um, you know, he's looking for Heather. Heather is a woman of color. Her mother was white. Her father was black. Um, and we find out in, in one of our early meetings of Heather that, like, this extremely impacted the way that she grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the current reality, George realizes that Heather probably wouldn't exist. In the gray reality. In the gray reality. Heather doesn't exist in this reality because so much of who she is is rooted in race. And now that race doesn't exist anymore, Heather doesn't exist anymore. And, and I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, I mean, I, I, I literally could cry just talking about it. It is so poignant right now. I feel yeah. like where so much of the discussions about race and like, I just really, it's just, that is so true. That is so true. It, it was a, a very, <sighs> it was a very hard hitting, like little nugget of the story that she put in that like she doesn't exist because yeah it just hmm. fuck and he he thinks about himself and he exists because, because he's a he... piece of clay and he's so easily molded and he looks at Haber and he doesn't even have to say it's just of course Haber exists not only yeah. does he exist but he's larger than ever just because yeah. he will always exist yeah and you know it shows his lens of Heather too because he's like he, get, he has such a clear understanding of who she is and that that is the reality. And also he looks at himself who, you know, Heather loves George, but mm -hmm. he doesn't see any real redeeming qualities in himself. And he's like, yeah, I exist because I don't have a personality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I could it's exist anywhere in any time because I'm nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's fucking uh, so talented. Oh, God, I love this book so much. <laughs> Sorry, read, do I like read I'm all of I'm her fine. things. I'm, I'm going to be okay. We'll do a little drink. She, uh, a little drink. Drink. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Josh. This was by far my favorite book we've read. Me too. I, I'm, I'm better for having read it, and I wouldn't have picked it up if we didn't do this fucking show. So. Better for having read it. I agree. And Oh, bigger than a shot. Bigger than a shot. No. No. That was more. No. More. Oh, Jesus, you did all of it? Yeah, I thought it was, uh, I don't know. I thought I could just throw it back. I did. Yeah, you were right, technically. <laughs> you could, you okay. did do it. <laughs> so, feeling, feeling better for having read it, I, I wrote this note just on my cell phone. Uh, but the note says, Fiction needs to do more than tell a story. Fiction should change and expand the way you see the world. Fiction should plant a seed in your mind to grow with time. And then this part, make the uh, or a balloon to expand. Uh, I started to, to peel off there. <laughs> that's but that's exactly, I mean, that's where her, you know. Hell yeah. Hell I, yeah. I was, I'm a different person now that I've read the book because mm -hmm. it just made me think about, think about things that had never come up before. Never and it happens to be a really cool story. And that's what uh. great writing can do. 
And I think that's what, for people who aren't readers and who aren't readers of fiction, that's what fiction can do that nonfiction can't do. This is one of those books where it makes sense to me. So I didn't become a voracious reader until much later in life. Um, I struggled reading assigned reading in high school. I struggled with it. But, like, you know, I would read in my downtime, but it was... I, I understand why Seth grew up being this kind of reader, having had this kind of book in his early young adult life, because this is the kind of book that I would give to somebody who says they don't read a lot. Mm. And, and you know what I mean? It's like... Sure. This yeah. is the kind of book I would give someone in high school and be like, well, maybe this will hook you. This is going you know to I mean? fuck your life up. This is going <laughs> to fuck you up. The quote on me and Josh have the same book. Um, how do you say his name? Is it Shaban? Michael Sh- uh, Michael Shaban. Shaban. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I read The Lathe of Heaven as a young man, my mind was boggled. Now when I read it, more than 25 years later, it breaks my heart. Only a great work of literature can bridge so thrillingly that impossible span. Mm. Yeah. Fuck. Oh, he's a fucking good writer, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will say that, like, I don't remember any heartbreak reading it as a younger person. And so that, that quote is hella accurate mm. because now, like, as an almost 30-year-old, to have, like, loved and lost and whatever, you know, like, we've gone through some shit. We are adults. Mm-hmm. And, like... Yeah, man. Like, the part that gripped us, at least gripped me, gripped you, and, you know, different gripping parts, but, like, the the love story, which is such a small portion, but is done so beautifully, and, like, uh, fuck. It was, yeah, man. Um, the other Jeez. thing I want to, just because we can't suck her dick enough in this episode, like, everything she did was... No like, one can suck Ursula Le Guin's dick enough, Yeah, honestly. She, yeah, I mean, she should literally, like, she's incredible. If you did a kill, fuck, or marry, I think no matter what you decided to do, I don't know if you wrote one or not, I, I would just say, fucking marry Ursula K. Le Guin. Even <laughs> if it wasn't an option, I would add her in. That's just... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. She's the writing candidate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have... <laughs> And everyone I mean, would write her in, so I mean, she we wins. can all agree that she's like mm-hmm. above and beyond. Uh, um, wait, one more, one more thing. Yeah, okay. Um, I love the, this woman. The the other thing that I want to sing her praises about. Do it. Is you know we've talked about uh, the the beauty of her writing. We've talked about like logistically, like logistically, it's very sound. You know, like considering she's yeah, she does. We haven't mentioned building. this right. right. World building was <laughs> a word Which I was you gonna might get to, it's but that's so what I want to say that blows my mind about this book. And I I found it to be so. The themes in this book are so um, uh, applicable to today, right? I felt so, oh, yeah. but. What I mean is, because she tackles things like war and race and poverty... Global warming? This book could be poignant at any time in history. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the next ten years, we're going to still have these same fucking issues. Universal. We're still going to... Ha- they're mm. universally... So it's like, I'm sitting here like, this could have been written today about today, but it could be fucking written about tomorrow, tomorrow. I just... Yeah. She's so fucking good. <laughs> Where are we at? What's Does anyone need to pee? Yeah, I do We're pee. We're an hour and a half in. Yeah, let's just seem like good Can time. I, I feel, I feel pee-ish. Yeah, let's pee. Oh, that's what was upsetting. I didn't like that. <laughs> pee-ish.
I'm I'm so filled with joy. I'm so filled with joy that this is the first book you get. Okay, so uh, I wanna. So that it's got no future. meant just that like well because what did you say guys we got precious minutes i know all right so all right we got off topic we'll we'll pick it back up i mean we also post yeah uh where i don't understand what that means yeah i don't think not yet you don't think it's out of oh fuck Nah, yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Uh, Seth does not want to edit our podcast. No, that's not true. That's not true. That interaction. We just record so much glorious... as a threat. We just... We record so much glorious content that Mm -hmm. it's a very long process to select what is the best of the best, you know? Yeah. Because, like, it's all gold. It's all gold. Honestly, it's all gold. For, you know, those of you who don't hear what doesn't make it out there... I assure you, it was gold. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, okay, so I... Seth, what are we drinking? <sighs> right. <laughs> what, what we've been drinking uh, all evening. So uh, there's a lovely smoothie-esque uh, drink called the Orange Dream, but we're drinking the Orange Dream Machine. Uh, aka the augmenter. Uh, so this is a uh, dairy and orange juice and crushed ice kind of cocktail, but we're adding absinthe. That little green fairy that takes you on these ridiculous fucking. Anyway. Fuck um, yeah. Yeah, the it's orange delicious. dream machine. Um, yeah. The you, in- you find you find a recipe on our. Something or other. <laughs> I, I just want to say the inspiration no. that <laughs> Ursula K. Le Guin digs into to write this novel. Seth channeled that to come up with this fucking drink. I gotta say, this is probably the cleverest of the drinks so far, and and the most delicious sounding that I think. Yeah. I'm not. I I'm not crazy about the idea of absinthe and dairy. What What's not to be crazy about? The idea. Yeah. <laughs> So let's do um, yours. Let's do your prompt. So guys, I kind of want to roll into this one. Um, If this book had one song that was its theme song, aside from the Beatles song that is in In the the book. In the book, yes. So so we can't pick this song. Also, uh, real quick, how beautiful is it that like the, the words that bring George to the dream that he needs to dream is like... Uh, just a little help from my friends, like, oh, yeah, fuck. and 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 one of the aliens gives, gives him the oh advice. They're such cool aliens. Oh, they're I so love cool. This alien that runs an antique shop that is in a turtle shell, but is fascinated with like the shit we threw out. And they share a little help from my friends. Now I want to know if the Lathe of Heaven had a soundtrack, one song 
What would the theme song be? My song is Fiona Apple's Sleep to Dream. <gasps> um, shit. Cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it goes, so um, I can't jump in with song. It's, it's, it's... We don't need to, we're also. We don't <laughs> Totally to. okay. This okay. is, um, uh, yeah, it's basically, like, the, the refrain is, like, um, I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream. Mm. Um. Fucking dig Fiona Apple. It's my favorite Fiona Apple song. It's so good. What's that? Ooh. What you uh, got? Seth got... raised his hand and I called on him, so he's, it's his I got it. <laughs> Hold on. One second. So, right, so the song that I have is Where Is My Mind by the mm. Pixies, but but not the Pixies version. Sorry. Uh, okay. I didn't mean to be so... Not performed by the Pixies. No, um, I'm trying to pull it up oh, on my Spotify. There's this woman who I love who does that song. Um, right, because it, it's pretty... It's, Famous song and multiple yeah, artists been, have yeah, covered it. Which one? And which one? one? There was one that came up on my fucking. Ooh, I got it. I got it. Uh, family band. So I I usually pick a really kind of like fun poppy sing songy one that we can break into song for. But this time, this one is a little bit in the middle. Um, not oh, as yeah. not as on the nose. I will do. Um, it's kind of, this one's even a lame one. I'll do Follow You Into the Dark by Death Cab oh, for Cutie. That's, that's a romantic song, though, for the yeah. couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, tapping into... And, the... and kind of dreamy. It's kind of a dreamy song. Um, yeah, it's a sleepy song. It's on every every high school girl has it on their go-to-sleep playlist, along with uh, Sleeping Lessons by The Shins, which is my second book. Right. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> that it's on... Which I didn't think of earlier, but Sleeping Lessons is a perfect song for this book. That it's on the playlist, because it's like, I'll follow you into death. And uh, I specifically thought of it when I when George George jumps into the black void mm-hmm. and then winds up at the yeah. psychiatrist's office as he like breaks in during his nightmare, which everybody remembers mm-hmm. because somehow the nightmare broke the like thread yeah. that made people forget. Yeah. Powerful songs. Yeah. Good songs. Ooh, what should Kate and I and anyone else who's read Lathe of Heaven read next by her? Um, pro tips. Hmm. Oh, God, we could be here all night. No, I guess uh, if if you really dug this book yep. and we're looking for something a little bit more. Yep, just one, though. Uh, I would say The Dispossessed. Dope. Great. Anyway, yeah. It's really yeah. interesting, and it... It has very similar tone. I think it was written around the same time. Should we all go to your place and read The Dispossessed <laughs> right now? In a round? Right out now? Out. Should we read it around? Yeah. Yes. But can yes. we also like only have, like we're at a sleepover, can we only have like one lamp and we're all cuddled mm-hmm. up in a mm-hmm. circle mm-hmm. and then when you end a chapter you hand it to the next person? Yeah. Alright. Let's I do it. But I want pizza because I'm <laughs> and beer And beer high. pong. Oh yeah. <laughs> Air five. Real high five. Real five. Alex, mom. Oh. Mom, mom. <laughs> stop. Now enough. Mom's dog. Mom's <laughs> dog. Put it up there, mom's dog. Okay. That was Sorry. just... Yeah, my, my hand started to just swat. <laughs> hey guys, Josh here. Thanks for listening. I can guarantee you will never hear the three of us agree so much again. Next week, we have a special episode for you. 
because our Seth got married, we'll be recording a short story. It will be The Life You Save May Be Your Own by Flannery O'Connor. It has to do with a special wedding. Checked Out is produced by Alex Fries. This week's editing was done by Seth James. Our theme music is by Adam Simonello, and our intermission music is by Peter Myers. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at CheckedOutPod, or email us at CheckedOutPod at gmail.com. That's CheckedOutPod at gmail.com. As always, you can find us on SoundCloud at SoundCloud backslash CheckedOut.